I'll never forget the first time I experienced major turbulence on a flight. I was actually on my way to India as a part of a mission trip, and we were flying from New York to Paris and from Paris to India. And on that flight over the Atlantic Ocean, my my first flight over the Atlantic, of course, the pilot came on and informed us that you know, we were going to have a few bumps in the ride. And I love how pilots do that. They make it sound <laughs> so sweet and um, <laughs> calm, like it's not a big deal. Oh, folks, we're going to ask you to return to your seat and put your seatbelts on. We're going to have a few bumps in the air. Uh, we're experiencing some rough air here. Just return to your seat and fasten your seatbelt, please. I'll ask the flight attendants to do the same. If you mean bumps in the air, like dropping from 30,000 feet to 25,000 feet in a half a second. Yeah, that's a bump. Some of us would call that more than a bump. Would you agree? (laughs) If you're talking about a little rough patch of air that's going to plant your face on the ceiling. Yeah, that's a little rough air. And I will never forget like significant turbulence. The first time I ever experienced it, like I was scared to death. I was negotiating with God. <laughs> you ever do that? Like, okay, God, I'll do this, 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 and this. And you know, you're thinking you're over the Atlantic. And so I, I got no other options here other than negotiate with the Lord. And, and I was just terrified. I was, I was scared to death. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't do anything really. And that's the most frustrating part. I mean, you want to do something, but there's really nothing you can do. You feel like there are things that are out of your control. And the only measure of comfort you have is that there seems to be someone in control for whom the bumps and the rough air is not a big deal. <laughs> now, if the pilot ever comes across there panicked, you're in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and you know, life is like that. No matter how blessed you are, no matter how great your upbringing, no matter how wonderful your job or your career, no matter how great your children, every single one of us are gonna go through patches in life where we experience turbulence. Every single one of us. And there are seasons of turbulence in our lives where especially if you've never gone through a significant season of rough air or a few bumps in the road, it it can be overwhelming because you quickly realize there are a lot of things in our lives that are out of our control. Now, day to day, we we don't think of our lives in that way. It seems like we have control over just about everything in our lives. But you know, when you hit a season of turbulence in your life, in your family, you quickly realize, no, there are things that are completely out of your control. And the only measure of comfort you can truly have is to know that there is one who is in control and there is one who loves you and cares for you. But every single one of us will go through seasons of life where we experience significant turbulence. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's the loss of a job and a season of unemployment. Maybe it's difficulty with a child, a rebellious child or an adult child that is wayward. Maybe it's a struggle with infertility. Maybe it's a broken or a failed marriage. Maybe there's a financial strain or a setback. 
Maybe it's just COVID fatigue. Maybe it's a difficult boss or a work environment. Maybe it's the loss of a child or even a season of depression or anxiety. Every single one of us at some point will go through a season of turbulence. And when you're in the turbulence, it can be incredibly distressing because you quickly realize that there are things out of your control. And we're looking at some significant seasons of turbulence in one of our heroes, a man by the name of Joseph. And we're looking at some of the rough patches that he faced in his life. We actually discovered last week that Joseph was raised in a rather dysfunctional family. That sounds odd to us because Joseph was a part of like the royal family as we look at our heritage. I mean, as we look at the Jewish nation, we, we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I and mean, we're talking about the patriarchs. We're talking about the, the most significant family in the Old Testament, really in history for the Jewish nation. We're, we're talking about some significant figures, but yet we've seen there was some dysfunction there. It really started with Joseph's father, Jacob, who grew up in a household himself where his father favored his older brother. Jacob knew the pain and the sting of not having his father's favor. And so he sought his identity and his refuge in his mother's favor and his mother's love. And Jacob became a deceiver and he stole his older brother's blessing to the extent that he had to flee for his life because his older brother Esau was going to kill him. And, and then Jacob has a family of his own and it's dysfunctional. Remember he's, he's got sons with four different women, but the woman that he loved is a woman that gave him a son in his old age. And the firstborn son with the woman that he loved was Joseph. And so here's what's so crazy. Jacob repeats the dysfunction that he grew up with by favoring Joseph more than any of his other sons. He does the exact same thing his father did. And so all the other brothers, especially the older ones in a hierarchical culture where the firstborn had the share, greatest share of the inheritance and the family honor, Joseph, the younger is favored. And so the brothers hate him and Joseph's very, very happy to play the favorite. And early in his life, we see he's kind of this little <laughs> brat and he's, he's rubbing his brother's noses in the fact that he's the favorite. And he got the, remember the coat of many colors or the, the, the garment that was lavish and, 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 and significant. And, and then he has these dreams about how everybody's gonna be bowing down to him. And, and it results in, in incredible seasons of, of season of turbulence for Joseph because his brothers end up selling him as a slave and they take his little fancy coat back to his father and they tell Joseph's father that he was killed. And so when we left out last week and we headed out of the narrative, we, we found that Joseph was taken to Egypt, transported to Egypt as a slave. But we also saw that where he was taken was not coincidental, it was providential. And we saw that God's silence was not 
his absence and that God is working even through this season of tremendous turbulence to bring about a greater plan and a greater purpose. Now we pick up the story this week in Genesis chapter 39. If you happen to have a copy of God's word with you, you're watching us online this morning, turn with me to Genesis 39. We're gonna see here that actually Joseph has a turn for the good. He goes through this horrific situation where he's, remember he's cast into a cistern, he's pleading for his life and his brothers will not relent. And so they sell him and he's taken now as a slave. He was the favored son and now he's just a meager servant and he's, he's taken to Egypt. But when he gets to Egypt, we're gonna see things actually take a turn for, for the good. Check this out. Now, when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord was with Joseph. And so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. And Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. And this pleased Potiphar so that he made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. And all of his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and his livestock flourished. And so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. And with Joseph there, he didn't have to worry about a single thing except what kind of food to eat. Now, you need to understand that Potiphar was more than just a military man. He was like the joint chiefs of staff. He was an especially prominent person under Pharaoh. And so Joseph's rise is incredibly significant because he is taken into Potiphar's home and the Lord's with him and the Lord's blessing him and the Lord's blessing Potiphar for the sake of Joseph. And so Joseph's getting these promotions here and eventually he's running the entire household. I mean, he's no meager servant anymore. Joseph has a very significant position and he's experiencing a time of blessing and a time of success. But, but we're gonna see here, the captain's about to come over the intercom and announce... A little rough air <laughs> because Joseph's season of blessing does not last forever. Check out what happens next, verses six and seven. Now, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. I mean, tell me about it. I can relate to that. <laughs> if Joseph was like me, he was probably about six foot one, 125 coming out of high school. I mean, well-built, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> now, Joseph was very, very handsome, strong young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now, Joseph was clearly handsome. He was prospering at everything he did for Potiphar and uh, and we find here that Potiphar's wife gains a significant attraction to Joseph. I actually did some research this week and I, I found a picture of Joseph. I thought you might be interested to see what he looked like, this handsome, successful man. <laughs> I think that's probably something close to what he looked like. Succeeded in all he did. Listen, I told you last week it's gonna be 139 to nothing. I wasn't far off. 
Apparently, I don't know if you saw the Valentine's video there early in our service. Apparently some of our staff consider themselves Joseph's. That's our executive pastor, Scott Odom, who said he looks like Tom Cruise. You know, on second thought, boy, I can barely tell him apart. I don't know what Joseph looked like, but he was clearly a good looking man. (laughs) He obviously was successful. He's well built. Someone once said Potiphar's wife's favorite song was, I like Hebrew men and I cannot lie. (laughs) So she's attracted to Joseph. And notice here her power play. She's clearly a woman of prominence in her society and She's used to getting whatever she wants. I mean, nobody would mess with her. I mean, she's the wife of the guy who's like the number two guy in all of Egypt. And so typically whatever she wants, she gets. And she begins to proposition Joseph, expecting that he will do whatever she wants him to do. But we're gonna see Joseph will not go for that. And so his turbulence goes from bad to worse. Check out what happens next, beginning in verse eight. But Joseph refused and he said, look, My master trusts me with everything in his entire household and no one here has more authority than I do. And he has held back nothing for me except for you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. And so she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. He's wisely now trying to avoid her as best he can. But one day, no one else was around when he went in to do his work and she came and grabbed him by the cloak, his cloak, his outer garment, demanding, come on, sleep with me. And Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. And when she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled, she called out to her servants. And soon all the men came running and looked, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. And he came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. And she kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. And then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you brought into our house tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. So Potiphar's wife pursues Joseph. And and if you look at the original language here, the second time she's propositioning him, she's very, very direct. Actually, in the original language, it's best translated sex now. Like she's, she's been making her advances and he's refused. And she gets to a point where it's just like the two of them. And she's like, right now. And And she grabs him by his outer garment and he flees and leaves that garment with her. And you see how she falsely accuses him and absolutely destroys his reputation and the positive gains that he had experienced in his life. I think Elvis Presley wrote a song about her. You're the devil in disguise. Remember that one? Potiphar's wife is, um, man, she's, uh, she's something. She's uh, incredibly angry and embarrassed. And so she brings a horrific accusation against Joseph. And then look at what happens. Naturally, you would expect expect this to be the case. So when Potiphar hears this, he's furious when he hears that, that his wife 
claims these things about Joseph and how he treated her. And so he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the kings or the Pharaoh's prisoners were held. And there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and he showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. And before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. And the warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. And the Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. We find here another season of turbulence for Joseph. I mean, the guy can't catch a break. I mean, without question, he, he, he was not kind and gracious to his brothers, but I think we would all agree that the punishment didn't fit the crime. I mean, to throw him into a cistern and to basically leave him for dead and then to decide to sell him as a slave. I mean, really, uh, they kind of took out more of their father's sin on Joseph than anything. I mean, the punishment didn't fit the crime. And so, so he's taken into Egypt and he starts to see some kind of success here. And, and no matter how good his success, no doubt he still had to miss his father, right? I mean, no matter how good he had it in Egypt with Potiphar for this season, I mean, he still had to miss his father and even his brothers, I'm sure. It's just, I mean, it, it's not a best case scenario, but it was better than the alternative. And, 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 and he finally kind of, you know, one step forward and then two steps back. And then he's accused of something in Egypt that is horrific. And now he's thrown into prison and not just any prison, the prison where Pharaoh kept his prisoners. And, and we find that he's there and, and he's suffering again. But there's a truth that surfaces that you cannot miss in the recounting of this historical narrative. And it's a simple takeaway for all of us who are experiencing turbulence at times that our God is present in the prison. He's there. It looks like circumstantially that Joseph is just a guy who's always prone to bad luck, but we find three times in the narrative that the Lord is with him twice right here as he's thrown into prison. The Lord is with Joseph and the Lord was with him. I want to remind you this morning that no matter what your turbulence, no matter what your trials, no matter what seasons of discouragement or frustration or grief or anger that you face, listen to me, the Lord is present in the prison. He's always with his people. Let me say it this way. There will be detours on the way to your destiny. There's no such thing as a perfect, easy life. There, there, there will be turbulence on your way to your triumph as the Lord is leading you to glory. And I wanna give you three quick takeaways from this turbulence in Joseph's life, this latest suffering that I think has tremendous implications for you and for me. First of all, I'm gonna give you a simple formula for navigating these seasons of turbulence. It's simply this, A plus B equals C. <laughs> Adversity plus belief leads to consequences, positive or negative. You face adversity, you join it to what you believe and that will lead to the consequences in your life, either good or bad. You see, when Joseph was propositioned by Potiphar's wife, he refused her advances out of something more than just a human obligation or a moral code. 
Let me take you back in and remind you what Joseph said. He said, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household and no one here has more authority than I do. And he's held back nothing from me except for you because you're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? Look at this. It would be a great sin against God. You see, when you face significant adversity or even temptation, what comes out of you in terms of your response is reflective of what is inside of you in terms of your belief system. Adversity plus belief equals consequences. Let me say it this way. When you're one-on-one with your date late at night, parked in a car by yourselves, that's a really bad time to decide what your sexual ethics are going to be. That's not the time to decide what your ethics are gonna be. When you're preparing your taxes here in a few weeks and you realize that you owe far more than you thought you would, that's a really bad time to decide what your financial ethics are going to be. (laughs) When your boss asks you to change the numbers for the quarterly report to the board or cover up an indiscretion, that's a really bad time to decide whether or not you're willing to compromise your testimony and your reputation. See, so often we fail to appreciate how God grows us in the little things which prepare us to respond to the big things. We don't fully appreciate weekly worship, Bible teaching, Bible intake, prayer, being in community with other like-minded believers who can pray for us and encourage us and counsel us and hold us accountable. We don't appreciate the little things that go into our hearts and go into our minds on a regular basis. We typically only think of response as, as something that's required in the big things. But let me, let me just give you this incredible truth that, that if you don't see significant progress day to day in the little things, in your personal growth, in, in your Bible intake, in your weekly worship, in your convictional mindset, when you get to the big things, you will not be prepared. And when Joseph got to this test in his life and this temptation with Potiphar's wife, he could have easily said, look at everything I've been through, how I was mistreated by my brothers and look at this great opportunity. I'm not throwing it away because of this. It's not what he did. And it wasn't just his moral code. It wasn't just his like, his his cultural norms here. No, 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 no. It was his faith in God that motivated him to respond with purity and holiness. I I won't sin against my God. You you see, for all the dysfunction in Joseph's life and his family growing up, he, he, he did believe in the one true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was taught about this great and mighty and awesome God. He, he, he did believe with all of his heart, not in the gods of the Egyptians, the fake and false gods. He believed in the one true and living God and he believed that God would bless his life if he stayed obedient to him. And that belief in the led to the consequence of Joseph making the right decision. And so it is with you and me. May I just remind you today that what you believe about God and his plan for your life is the most important thing about you. 
What you believe about God and his plan for your life is the most important thing about you. And if you will root yourself in the belief that God loves you, that he sent his son to die for you, to give you eternal life, that he has a plan and a purpose for you that far surpasses anything you could ever choose for yourself. Then, then when you combine that belief with the adversity that's coming, with the temptation that's coming, it will lead to the right consequences. Because listen to me very, very carefully. Our lives, our hearts, our minds are like sponges. And we don't see week to week the blessing and the benefit of what we put in in terms of our Bible reading and our Bible intake and our prayer and, and our worship and our fellowship. And, and we, we don't see it. But when we're squeezed, what comes out of us is simply the result of what's gone into us. And what I mean to show you today is that when Joseph was squeezed, what came out of him in his turbulence was a response to honor and to glorify his great and glorious God. Why? Because that's what was in him. We see tremendous growth and maturity in Joseph, do we not? He's already come a long way from that spoiled brat in his childhood. And we see here a deep, seated conviction and an understanding, I believe, that God was blessing his life. That's why he rose to prominence in Potiphar's house. And more than any moral code, more than any type of legalistic mindset, more than any type of obedience out of fear, he, he displays an obedience out of love for the God who blessed him and whose providence was guiding him. What came out of Joseph was the result of what had gone into Joseph. And it's no different for you and me. You see, when we face adversity and we join that to what we believe, the response will be either good or bad. But sometimes when we respond in the right way, we get in the short term, what we would consider to be the wrong results. And so let me give you a second takeaway that, that God's love is compatible with loss. We touched on this last week, but it bears repeating. Listen to me. When Joseph combined his belief with his adversity, his belief with his turbulence, his belief with his temptation, what came out was a consequence that honored the Lord. He said, I will not sin against my God. But what he got in the immediate aftermath of that were human immediate consequences that were negative and unfair and unjust. Joseph did the right thing and he got the wrong result. Would you agree with that? What he got, he did not deserve. And sometimes in life, even as we respond in the right way, even as we are squeezed and what comes out is the right response and the right belief system, you know what? Sometimes in the short term, we don't get the right result. And this is a truth that is so very important in our society. We're listening to me very carefully. There's a lot of false teaching out there that if you just have enough faith and you just do the right things, you will always have the blessing of God. Well, you will always have the blessing of God, but you will not always have the blessing of positive circumstances. And we have to understand a greater truth than just, you know, if I have enough faith and I do the right thing, then everything's always gonna turn out okay. No, sometimes you have enough faith and you do the right thing and it doesn't turn out the way you want to in the short term but God is still with you because God is present in the prison. And his love is compatible with loss. 
And you can't always read God's love through the tea leaves of your earthly circumstances. His love is deeper than that. His wisdom is a mystery to us at times that we cannot discern with our human eyes and our human feelings. Let me give an example from from the days of Jesus that encourages me. It, It relates to Jesus and two women in his life with whom he was very, very close, Mary and Martha. Remember, Martha's the one that had doused Jesus' feet with a costly perfume and had honored Jesus. And there's a time when Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus grew ill. He, he was in a town called Bethany and Jesus was a little distance away from there, um, but, he, but, but he could get to Bethany in a reasonable period of time. And so they, they sent Mary and Martha, they send their, their, their friends to Jesus and they say, Jesus, our brother Lazarus is sick. Come, come quickly. And let me show you what happened, John eleven five five and six. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now just let that sink in for a second. Jesus loved Martha, Mary and Lazarus but he stayed where he was for the next two days. And you know what happened on the second day? Lazarus died. And when Jesus finally went to Bethany, it was too late and he shows up and everybody's weeping and they're mourning. And he gets there and and Martha comes up to Jesus and, and she says, I'm sure with some measure of grief and exasperation and even frustration, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where have you been? You ever feel like that? And the love that Jesus had for Lazarus was not in question. The love that he had for Mary and Martha, not in question. But when you're in that turbulence of two days when Jesus is not coming, it's hard to feel that love at times. And it's easy to feel the frustration, the exasperation of Martha. But you know what Jesus was doing? Something that they could never anticipate in the moment. Because when when Jesus finally got up after a couple of days to go to Bethany, you know what he said? I love this. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm gonna go and I'm gonna wake him up. Hallelujah. He said, I'm gonna wake him up. And his his, his disciples like, Jesus, no, 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 no. You know, we we use a metaphor for death as in he fallen asleep. He's not asleep, he's dead. And I'm sure Jesus wanted to say, you are a bunch of morons. And you have learned nothing about my ministry, have you? Jesus said, I'm going to wake the man up. And Jesus went and he stood in front of that grave after Martha had expressed her grief and frustration after Jesus himself had wept over the scene and and, and just the sorrow that was there. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come out of there. And Lazarus came out. And can I give you some good news today? Jesus did not do anything for Lazarus that he will not also do for you and me. Because at some point in the future, long after we have died, if the Lord tarries in his return, and long after this world falls apart, Jesus is gonna return with a loud trumpet and he's gonna say, it's time, get up. 
and we're gonna join him in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. That's the hope that we have today. That's the hope that we have. But what do we do in the waiting? What do we do in the two day window, so to speak, when Jesus isn't coming? Well, dear ones, we have to remember, first of all, that God's silence is not his absence. His delay is not his displeasure. Now, if if Jesus hadn't shown up yet, you can write it down. There's a reason for it. And so don't doubt his love. You may feel like you're in that two day window right now. Don't doubt his love for you. God's love is compatible with loss. His mercy is compatible with difficult circumstances. Sometimes you can make the right decision, make the right stand, do the right thing, and in the short term, get the wrong result. But make no mistake about it. Let me give you the final takeaway here. Listen to me very carefully. Our great God is with his people at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. Do you agree with that? Our God is with his people at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when we go from the palace to the prison, even when we are unjustly accused, even when we're hurting and struggling, even when we're waiting and we're worrying. Listen, God is with his people. And his love never fails. I want you to notice again here the coincidence in the story of Joseph. Going back to last week, and let me join it to this week. Are you ready? Joseph follows his brothers to Dothan. Remember Dothan? Podunk. He, he goes out there in the middle of nowhere and his brother Reuben just happens to intercede and the band of traitors just happens to be coming by so that they sell him instead of kill him. And Joseph just so happens to end up in Egypt where he just so happens to end up in Potiphar's house. And we saw this week, he, he just so happens to rise to such prominence that he's put in a position with Potiphar's wife that he's falsely accused and imprisoned. And hello, it just so happens that he ends up in the prison where Pharaoh keeps his prisoners. And next week, we're gonna see how that results in Joseph being in a position to save his father, his brothers, and his people. Now I ask you this, is that coincidence? No, that's providence. Oh man, just so happens to get to Egypt, just so happens to get to Potiphar's house, unjustly accused in prison, just happens to go to the prison where Pharaoh's prisons are kept. And next week we're gonna see, just so happens to get some dreams that, you know, he's pretty good at figuring out. You see, God is with you at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. And he has a plan and a purpose for you that will never fail. I've been through times of turbulence and not just on a plane crossing the Atlantic. I've been through seasons of delay when you're crying out to God and I've cried out to God, okay, God, how much longer will it ever get better? You've been through those times too. If you haven't, they'll come. 
And in those times, remember, that adversity, that temptation combined with the right belief will lead to the right consequences for you in terms of God's plan for your life. But even though you might be right where God wants you to be in the short term, you might experience delay. You might experience unjust responses from people around you. But in the midst of that, remember, God's present in the prison. And he's with you at all times, in all places, in all circumstances. Remember what Psalm 105 said? This is foundational for us. God called for a famine on the land of Canaan, that's Israel, and he cut off the food supply. And then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Now God's working. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And so it is with you and with me. You cannot miss the fact that the Lord is with Joseph. He's with them in the cistern. He's with them as a slave. He's with them in Potiphar's house. He's with them in his prison. God is with him. May I remind you that God's presence is the greatest source of your power. And he's with you. So the apostle Paul said this, a man who himself endured horrific circumstances, even after he demonstrated the right response. Listen to what Paul said. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? The answer is no. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? Or, or, or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for, for your sake, we're, we're killed every day. I'm enduring hardship every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. But no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. <laughs> that was true for Joseph in the prison. That's true for Paul in adversity. And that's true for you and me in our turbulence. And if you're here today, you're watching us, joining us online, you've never put your faith in Jesus for your salvation. Let me tell you something. The sin in your life and in your heart, the brokenness in you and in our world has all been dealt with through what Jesus did for you. He came, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross in your place. He endured the wrath of God on your behalf and he rose from the dead and his glorious bodily resurrection secures victory for all who believe. And if you've never asked Jesus into your heart, into your life to forgive you, to save you, I urge you to do that today and to invite his love and his forgiveness and his mercy into your life. And he will forgive you and he'll give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. And he'll give you a power through his presence that will sustain you through every season of life. And if we can help you get connected to Jesus in any way today, I wanna to encourage you to text Bell Shoals to 313131. I wanna encourage you to catch me at the back today. I'm gonna to go to our welcome center here. I'd love to meet you, connect with you, pray with you. I'm gonna invite you to connect with someone at our, at our round tables out there. If we can just be a blessing to you in any way to facilitate the love of God in your life, the plan and the purpose of God in your life, knowing that his plans and his purposes will never fail. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? No. And so I'm gonna ask if you would just to bow with me and let's, let's pray together. Let's declare these truths together that our God is present in the prison. That that he's working and our waiting and that he is, he is with us at all times, in all places, in all circumstances to accomplish that which is ultimately for our good 
and for his glory.